And service mesh is just an evolution of that same idea. When you're running in a distributed system, you need observability to be able to see what's happening in each hop. You need the ability to be able to have fine-grained control over where traffic goes from point A to point B, from service A to service B. Welcome to the Open at Intel podcast, where we're all about open source, from software to security to innovation and beyond. I'm your host, Catherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel, bringing you leading edge, free ranging conversations from some of the best minds in the open source community. Let's get into it. Keith Maddox has an infectious enthusiasm for his work on Istio, Gateway API, and within the larger cloud-native landscape. He joined me at KubeCon and we geeked out on the tremendous impact open source contributors can have on users everywhere. I'm rooting for his projects and I think you will too. Hey Keith, thank you very much for joining me in my little fishbowl here at KubeCon. Yeah, happy to be here in the in the fishbowl. Love the setup and excited to talk about open source in the ecosystem. Awesome. Yeah, I... Uh, uh, I have been around, just as a means of introducing myself to you, I've been around open source a little bit. Um, I want to say I started dabbling in stuff around 2005, 2006. So I've seen some things, and I know that you've seen some things, and I, I'd love to compare notes here in a second. <laughs> but I wanna, if you would, just introduce yourself a little bit and, and tell me, tell us who you are and what you do, and especially what you do in the open source world. Absolutely. So, uh, hey, everybody, I'm Keith Maddox. I work as a engineering lead at Microsoft, leading upstream service mesh investments in engineering. So we work a lot with the Istio project, as well as Envoy Proxy and a lot of related technologies in the Kubernetes networking space. And uh, I've been at Microsoft for about two years and been working in the greater open source community for a little, um, little more than that, about four years. And yeah, seen a lot of really, really cool things. And it's my pleasure to be here at KubeCon talking to lots of amazing people, working at the Istio booth, had a chance, uh, the, the pleasure of presenting a panel last night and uh, with multiple service mesh experts on the panel. And so it's just been an amazing experience to talk in the open and, and, and be able to um, move towards a better technology, technological future. Okay, cool. So uh, two things. One, two, one is, how, in what ways do you participate in the Istio community? And two, could you just give us a little bit of a 101 on service mesh for those who are not so deeply embedded in the cloud native world? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as far as my involvement in Istio, I, I serve as a networking maintainer there. So I'm uh, one of the many people, uh, most of whom are smarter than I am, who uh, help maintain a lot of the, the networking uh, components of the Istio service mesh. And to take a, take a, taking a step back and talking about what service mesh actually is, um, I like to think about it as an evolution of patterns that we've actually had in our industry for a long period of time. So if you think back, dating myself a little bit, but if you think <laughs> back to when we were writing these large monolithic applications, maybe you were running ASP.NET or you're running uh, this Node.js service or my personal favorite in my experience uh, that I you know, used a lot was Ruby on Rails, right? You've got these large Ruby on Rails applications that you're deploying somewhere and what you saw there was you had these really thick frameworks, right? Mm -hmm. The Ruby on Rails uh, framework, you could get a gem for just about anything. In ASP.NET, you've got these client libraries that can you know, do anything under the sun. And even if you look in areas like Java, where the standard library and it wasn't, wasn't as huge, you still had lots of, lots of companies, lots of organizations like Netflix, open sourcing Hystrix, that did, that provided some of these uh, capabilities that are necessary for kind of distributed architecture. So like client retries and, and timeouts and things like that. 
Uh, and so as we saw people move from those Rails monoliths to making things a bit smaller and, and moving to microservices, mm -hmm. they kept those libraries, iterated over those libraries, and used uh, you know, technology. They, they, they used these libraries directly in the code to build their, let's say, provide MTLS and encryption across multiple services. The, to set up retries and timeouts and, and logging infrastructure across their fleet. Uh, that was how they accomplished that goal. And service mesh is just an evolution of that same idea. When you're running in a distributed system, you need observability to be able to see what's happening in each hop. You need the ability to be able to have fine-grained control over where traffic goes from point A to point B, from service A to service B. You need the ability to write security policies to define what services can talk to what other services. And so service mesh, you know, the early the earliest service meshes like Linkerd, like Istio, looked at these client libraries and they said, no, this is really complicated. And as polyglot environments got to be more and more prolific, being replicating all that logic across, okay, I've got, I've got my Hystrix and my Java applications here. I'm using my .NET framework for my ASP.NET applications here. And I've got these 25 Ruby gems on my Rails applications here. And duplicating all that logic uh, rewriting those client libraries was too much investment. It was, it was too expensive and not a great use of develop, developer time. So what service meshes do is we abstract all of that functionality into a proxy. At a certain point, you know, your, your, your Java framework, your, your, your Hystrix, your ASP.NET can, can only do so much until you get to a point where you're, the, the cost gets really high. So service meshes say, let's put all that logic back where it has been for decades into a proxy, into, you know, maybe it's a, an Nginx type of proxy or around the time Service Mesh got started, Envoy proxy is really high and that's what Istio uses to this day. So that's really what Service Mesh is, an evolution of the same, you know, pieces of functionality that have been in your client libraries and your language ecosystem for a long time. And we're going to take that and we're going to put that uh, into a proxy and make it Kubernetes-ified. Okay. So tell me a little bit about, so Istio is a CNCF project, right? Tell me a little bit about that process, about a project being absorbed, if you will, into the organization and being taken through that life cycle to graduation. Yeah, so Istio's journey was a little bit unconventional. Istio was open sourced by uh, IBM and, uh, and Google. It was not originally in the CNCF, but early uh, last year, Istio actually began the process to join the CNCF after four or five years living outside of the foundation. And it was accepted at the incubating level. And that's where you started to see, you know, that move to the CNCF actually did a lot for the Istio project. And you saw lots of new faces that hadn't contributed to Istio in the past due to it not being in the CNCF start contributing. And actually my employer, Microsoft, is, is one of those, one of those companies. And so, uh, now it's you know now the issue has hit the grad has hit graduated status. Uh, we are moving faster than ever. We're growing our our contributor base, and it's uh, really a, amazing to be a part of you know events like KubeCon as a full fledged CNCF graduated project. I feel like I should be able to speak more thoroughly about this, but Intel I believe is, uh, contributes quite a bit to the Istio project. Indeed, yes, you I probably know more. 
<laughs> you probably work with with these fine Intel folks. I know more know them better than I do. Yes, we've got several maintainers uh, from from Intel who have provided some really amazing innovations, especially around cryptography and on increasing the yeah. uh, the performance of certain encryption operations. It's been really great to partner uh, with folks, and that's really the that's really the the beauty of open source is that it really is, whether yeah. it's Intel or Microsoft or Google or IBM or Red Hat, any number of startups, like it, we can all be able, like bring our collective experience and knowledge out in the open and make something, make amazing projects and amazing products that ultimately help improve the lives of users. And that's why yeah, I love it's being exciting. a part of it. Yeah, Absolutely. and especially like so, you're at Microsoft. Microsoft, not a small company. No, <laughs> so, so Intel, and you know it's. Um, you know, when I first joined Intel, gosh, it was almost a year and a half ago now. One of the things that I really was so impressed by was just the, the vast number of projects that Intel is involved in. I am constantly discovering new places where, where Intel is contributing. You know, my area is more in, on the security side specifically, but it's incredible to see the collabor the industry collaboration to solve these very complex problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. Software has become I, again, like you mentioned mono monoliths, right? When mm -hmm. we were talking about the way th the way we used to do things not so long ago, but feels yes, we, like it a little bit. But yeah, it does feel like a very long time <laughs> ago. We've been around. But things are increasingly complex. Software is made in a way that is that is a, a sum of a l many, many, many very discrete parts, and to have involvement in all of the all of the glue that puts it together, I think, is so important. Absolutely, and you know, one of the other positive arguments for that uh, is, is this thing called Campbell's Law, right? It's it's the idea that your your the software that you write often reflects your organization. Yeah. Um, and when you write software in open source, you actually get the benefit of not being tied to a particular organization structure. Because when Intel contributes, when Microsoft contributes, Google, Red Hat, Solo, Tetra, these are, these are all just various Istio yeah. contributors, yeah. we are able to benefit from the, the combined knowledge, the combined uh, context of multiple different companies. And that trickles down really to users because you know Microsoft might not our organization might not look like the organization of our users but when we don't want to necessarily bake in those assumptions to our software yeah and Campbell's law it, it, it's one of those things that it, it constantly pops up and so sometimes you know when you have software that is completely written or dominated by a single country uh, company you get some of those assumptions leaking through, those leaky assumptions. Yeah. And so open source is a way for us to kind of hedge against that uh, and to write software that is representative of the diverse uh, and wide-ranging set of use cases that our users have. I love that. I love that you bring that up. You were actually the second person to mention <laughs> mention that to me today. <laughs> but it's absolutely it's absolutely true. You cannot... If you you can't impose your those assumptions on the end user for sure, absolutely and for the, to the greater community. So yep. I, yeah, I love that you mentioned that. So tell me, uh, you indicated to me that you might be interested in talking about the Gateway API yes. version 1.0 and its mesh support. Absolutely, yeah. So Gateway API has been something that I have been involved with um, since. Uh, wow, what? Yeah, it was 2022. And. Uh, before, but just to pause for a second, this is also known as frequently known as the Gamma Initiative. Am I right? Yes. So the okay. Gamma Initiative is kind of like a, a sub, a sub sub project within Gateway API. Right. Okay. Uh, since Gateway API is a sub project of the Sig, of Sig Network, um, Gamma is kind of like, almost like a sub sub project. Okay. Um, and so 
for those of you who, are, who might not be familiar, Gateway API is, a, again, kind of an evolution of service and ingress networking in Kubernetes. Um, and so for you know, many folks who might be familiar with the ingress API, it's one of the first APIs released in the first release of Kubernetes for getting traffic into your cluster. The Gateway API basically said, hey, when Kubernetes first started out, the, the, the goal was to try to get everything uh, in front of developers and the developers going to be the main users. But as time has gone on, we've seen that there's actually discrete persona, discrete use cases for Kubernetes that have started to emerge. You've got your infrastructure provider. This could be your cloud provider, the, something uh, that sits on top of bare metal like uh, Equinix Metal. Uh, it could be you know, whatever's providing that load balancer, those VMs, the compute, the disk. That's your infra provider. And your infra provider is really concerned about being able to allocate things according to user specifications um, and, and be able to do that in a dependable way. Then you've got your cluster operators. Your cluster operators are typically what you might think of as your platform team. You, you probably have okay. been talking to lots of people about platform engineering. Yes, it's one of these huge things we're talking about now. And it's and really platform engineering is this idea where instead of having developers have, you know, touch these very complex technologies and tools and have to kind of understand all of Kubernetes, the developers should actually be able to deal with a uh, abstracted platform that sits on top of Kubernetes to be able to solve common tasks. And that's what this infrastructure operator, uh, sorry, this cluster operator provides. They're the ones typically who are providing the platform who are talking, you know, have some programmatic API with the infrastructure provider to provide a gateway, a load balancer, a VM, or some abstraction on top of those things. And they're concerned about making sure policy is applied, that the best practices are being followed, uh, that they've got observability across the entire cluster, those sorts of things. And then finally, you've got your developers. Your developers are the ones who just are, are heads down, writing business logic, creating value for your organization, and they just want to ship code. And they want to ship code, expose it on a certain API endpoint, uh, and, and show what route it, it exists. And so Gateway API takes those personas and kind of ingrains them directly into their API design. And so instead of just one ingress resource, they've got Gateway class, Gateway, and then uh, a set of routing APIs. And when we looked at that in service mesh world, you know, Gateway API was, sought, was focused mainly on the ingress use case. We over in service mesh world looked at those APIs and said, you know, that looks very similar to what we're doing. And so in the spirit of open source, we kind of, we, we joined hands and said, hey, what if we took these gateway APIs and we put them, I mean, we utilized them for the east-west use case, the service-to-service -service use case of service mesh. And it turns out it was a match made in heaven. And in earlier this year in version 0.0 of gateway API, uh, mesh support was included via, through a uh, initiative called the Gamma Initiative. Uh, okay. it's, I, I came up with it. It's a really weird <laughs> backronym. It stands for Gateway API for Mesh Management or Administration. Works for me. Gamma sounds better. Gamma um, is very cool. Gamma, gamma it sounds like a Marvel, uh, yeah. a Marvel hero. Um, but so we went and we collaborated with the Gateway API community. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to serve as one of the Gateway API Mesh leads, um, kind of shepherding the, the evolution of those APIs. And now with Gateway API hitting 1.0, an amazing milestone, it really has emerged as the de facto future for Kubernetes networking and, and application routing. And I'm super excited to see where it's going to go as we add more features uh, and even more integrations moving forward. Where, where would you like it to go? If I talk to you again at KubeCon next year, what, do you want to, what are you hoping to be able to tell me? That's, <laughs> that's a fantastic question. So uh, mesh support in Gateway API is currently experimental. I'd love to see 
um, us make some, you know, make the progress necessary to get that to uh, stable um, so that, uh, you know, our users can feel more comfortable in those patterns um, and in the support they're going to get that this is something that they, they can put into production. The other thing I'd like to see uh, from a mesh perspective would be some level of authorization policy, the ability to say, hey, uh, I want to disallow this application from talking to my application, um, or I want to only allow traffic to this port, or I only want to allow uh, get requests on this path. Every, most mesh implementations, I would say every mesh implementation can do something like that. Um, but there's no defined standard or specification for what those resources should look like. There's, there's nothing we can all agree on right now. Uh, but we've shown, again, through the spirit of open source and open collaboration, that we can do that. We can find a standard we can all agree on for, 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 for routing. And at this moment uh, that we're talking here, Istio, Linkerd, and Kuma all implement uh, Gateway API for Mesh with, with full conformance. And so if we can do that, I'm fully confident that we can get it done for authorization policy. Uh, other things I'd like to see within Gateway API, uh, I think that uh, work that we're doing on, for example, uh, back-end TLS policy for uh, allowing your Ingress Gateway to do MTLS to your applications, that allows users to have end-to-end -end encryption for a particular request. I love that that merged uh, really, really recently. I'd love to get that from uh, that, that early stage over to something more mature, like a, a beta API, and get that in the hands of our users. Um, and then lastly, uh, I'd love to see even more adoption. There are already 26 implementations of Gateway API, uh, which is just staggering to me. And so uh, with all the options available to users, I want to see them actually be able to pick it up and try it. And hopefully with that 1.0 status that was reached just a couple of weeks ago, we'll see users be ready to take that next step with Gateway API. Well, that's very exciting. It's, it's really, I, I love, first of all, you're, you have an infectious enthusiasm for the work that you're doing. And, and so I, you know, I find myself rooting for you. I'm like, yes, yes, more users, more implementation. This is fantastic. Um, I wanted, what else are you excited about? Ooh, just in general? Or? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, in open source and technical. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to scratch that. In general, what else are you this excited about? Ooh, the, well. Marvel movies? No, <laughs> you mentioned that. I don't know. Uh, I'm a little bit. I love, you know, I, I'm a pretty, pretty big Marvel fan. Love to see what they come out with. But as far as the open source ecosystem, um, the number one thing that excites me is the ability to provide value uh, for users. Uh, a lot of, you know, th there's this graphic on the CNCF website about the um, kind of the stages of cloud native adoption. And I think there are a lot of people that sometimes when you look at conferences like KubeCon with thousands of people roaming the halls, it's easy for us to forget that there are still a lot of people, a, a vast majority of people who are still just beginning mm, or absolutely. just in their first or second year of their cognitive journey. Yeah. And we can't forget those people. Thank um, you. <laughs> we can't forget those people. And so I'm excited for uh, taking the solutions that we've built, um, like Istio, like, uh, like Service Mesh, uh, Linkerd, um, Gateway API, taking those tools and bringing it to those users in a way that is digestible and, and, and guiding them in their adoption journey so that they can have an experience and, pro and provide more value uh, to their customers, right? We're at, because we're an infrastructure, we're one of the deepest, one of the lowest layers in the stack. And so you look at things like Amdahl's Law or just general performance uh, programming principles, the lower in the stack you make an improvement, the greater the impact of that change. So... Yeah. If you think about something as simple as TLS encryption, 
right? Something that, you know, my grandmother, when she goes to order something yeah, off of Amazon, eBay yeah. or Amazon, <laughs> she's using TLS. Yes. And so anything that we do to make TLS faster has crazy implications for even the, the latency when you go to place an order on, on, on Amazon. Um, if you make TLS five times faster, my grandmother feels that on Amazon.com because that's how, that's how infrastructure works. We're at the lowest level. So anything we can do to reduce friction, improve performance, improve docs, do a lot of these day two type of things that you expect from mature projects, uh, uh, long-term support, something that we've been really pushing for in the Kubernetes at, at Azure so that users and, and customers don't have to constantly upgrade their Kubernetes clusters every, no, every half year. That's, that's too fast and people don't have um, th that's too much for a lot of organizations. And so giving them that, that security that they can you know, run their applications and do what they do best, providing value to their users, shipping their business logic, making their value uh, by keeping things more stable, that's what I'm excited about. Seeing the, the, the cloud native landscape become more accessible, more performance, and more stable for thousands and thousands of, of, of other users who might be earlier in the cloud native adoption journeys. I love it. Well, I'm inspired. I, I really appreciate what you say about the impact. Really, uh, an actual like every every person you know benefits from TLS. I think that's a really fantastic perspective. Well, I, is if if there's anything else that maybe I didn't ask you that you wanted me to, uh, please feel free to share that if, to share the answer you wanted to give. <laughs> now I'm trying to trying to like, think no back pressure, to everything. No pressure. Um. Well, what you didn't ask me um, was. Why was Kubernetes important? I didn't put that in the email, but I think it's something that I want to answer right oh, now. Oh, yeah, do it. Um, why is it? Why is Kubernetes important? Uh, because it gives us a, a standard way to ship applications. I believe that Kubernetes, at the time it was created and what it's turned into, uh, has shown the power and the impact of being able to declaratively ship applications, to be able to extend that the, the platform via, you know, in Kubernetes at CRDs um, and, and operators and controllers, uh, we, we've seen the ability to build massive ecosystems based on that core technology. Uh, and so, I, you know, Kubernetes is important because of the way it's allowed us to, sh to, to shift our thinking uh, into building platforms. And so, you know, maybe in 10 or 15 years, which is not that long in the span of lifetimes that feels long in the span of software. Mm -hmm. uh, but Linux has been around for decades, right? Linux has been, long for a long, been around for a long time. And I think that, you know, in 10 or 15 years, Kubernetes probably will still be around. There may be something new that's there. But the reason Kubernetes is important is that regardless of where we are in 10 or 15 years, the principles that we've learned being on this journey, being here at KubeCon, continuing to innovate and create value for the next generation of cloud native adopters, those lessons will stay with us and allow us to create even better software in the future and stand on the, on the shoulders of giants that are here at this conference with yep. us and build something new that ultimately changes lives. And that's what I'm excited to be a part of in the open source ecosystem. Mm, fantastic. To be, far, to be fair, you are, I believe, one of those giants, so Ooh. I wouldn't... Don't eh, sell yourself short. Not sure about that. Yeah, but you're you. definitely part of something really important. So, uh, but thank you so much for sharing everything and teaching us a little bit. And uh, yeah, I wish you I wish you much success with with all of your projects. So. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, Cap, make sure you get you get some pizza before you leave. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I hear I it's know. delicious. We'll, we'll work on that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Open at Intel. 
Be sure to check out more from the Open at Intel podcast at open.intel.com slash podcast and at Open at Intel on Twitter. We hope you join us again next time to geek out about open source.